Welcome to Estrada Illusions. We are back in the Rankin-Bass Cinematic Universe. We are doing a special that airs at Christmas. It does have Christmas, but I'd almost call it Christmas adjacent because this is really, at its core, Jack Frost is really a Groundhog Day special. <laughs> I, had to, I had to pause. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to say it. Without cracking up. Yeah, we have Pardon Me Pete, the groundhog, is the narrator. This special, Jack Frost, aired originally on December 13th, 1979. Right during Christmas. It airs every year. Well, it was part of Freeform's 25 Days of Christmas. I believe it is one of those that now airs on AMC. Guess what? Y'all probably don't watch that much cable television. Maybe you watched it back in the day on Freeform, but... This is a special that originally was, was supposed to be a Christmas special, and yet it's it's basically centered around Groundhog Day. Now, I, I, Groundhog Day already has its own thing. Well, it didn't have the Bill Murray movie at this point, but what, uh, even if you say, okay, Christmas in terms of all the holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Arbor Day, Pride Month, everything, we don't have... Like, maybe Christmas is a little overrepresented. I don't know how many people are like, gee, we really need a great Groundhog Day special. And hang on, let's air it during Christmas, and let's still have Christmas here, but let's have a Groundhog Day. Let's have a Groundhog narrate our Christmas special, and uh, let's have two separate scenes that are about Groundhog Day, including one that is 40 minutes into the special that's kind of just a rehash of the first few minutes. I don't know. And actually, you know what? I've come out of the gate swinging. We didn't do any announcements. We just dove right back into just Jack Frost. It's kind of a mess. And yet... (laughs) Wait, wait, wait for the kicker, people. I actually think this one is pretty good. Jack Frost is a tragedy. It doesn't have a happy ending. Unless you think... Well, unless you think that having winter is a happy ending. And yet, let's look at our climate right now. It's kind of a mess. Uh, this is not a commentary on climate change, uh, from, from the, this film at least. Climate change is very real as a commentary from Estrada Illusions, but from Jack Frost. I mean, we learn about a lot of the mechanics of, of winter, which is independent and operates independently from nature, but we've got, I, I don't know, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Jack Frost is, uh, is, is a beautiful special. It is one of the newest of the mainstream Rankin Basses. So, of all of the... We talked we talked during our Santa Claus is Coming to Town episode about kind of where we're placing the, the upper tier. So, not ones like Pinocchio's Christmas and Life and Adventures of Santa Claus that we did last year, but the main the mainstream ones that are aired on normal channels pretty much every year. Ones that most of our listeners would have been familiar with. And on that list, you know, you've got Rudolph, you've got Santa Claus is Coming to Town, you've got Year Without a Santa Claus, you've got Little Drummer Boy, and you also have the Frosty the Snowman cartoon, which is Rankin-Bass, but it's not stop-motion animation. And I think, basically, once you get beyond Year Without a Santa Claus, Rudolph, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Little Drummer Boy, this is the last Rankin-Bass stop-motion animation that's that's really part of the mainstream, top-tier... I, I don't know. I mean, is Jack... That's something that you, the listener, may want to decide. Is this really one that's considered... 
The problem is that if it's not a mainstream one, it's kind of in a category of itself because it doesn't belong necessarily with the, the more obscure ones. And yet, I mean, this one does get showed all the time. I remember watching it as a kid. I watched it a couple years ago with my sister, and now I've watched it again. And uh, a few things stick out. It, it is the most beautiful of the stop motions uh, of the later ones with probably the one exception of Rudolph and Frosty Christmas in July, which was a feature length film. It was briefly in, if you can imagine, it was briefly in theaters, that one. Uh, and that one was later. Jack Frost actually does appear in that one. This is, this is kind of the last one that we haven't done in terms of the TV specials that, that is, that has some, some mainstream relevance. And it actually, the voice cast, you could see maybe it's, there's, there's some fun uh, players here. Uh, Robert Morse, who is probably most known to people for his, uh, at least to people in the 21st century, uh, he played Bertram Cooper in Mad Men. His other big, big claim to fame would be How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. He was in the Broadway play and the feature film. Great, great Jack Frost. Great, great voice. And uh, well, the other guy that, that a lot of people, in fact, People may actually know Buddy Hackett a little bit better than Robert Morris because he is probably most known for the voice of Scuttle in The Little Mermaid, which is kind of eerily similar to this role. Scuttle isn't a narrator, but they sound very similar. I, I The thing that gets me about Pardon Me Pete is he's kind of established immediately as a corrupt... Like, he's this famous celebrity. People are so excited. There's this big will-they-won't they about whether he'll come out and see his shadow and then we learn he's made a deal with jack frost so that uh they can oh make sure that he gets six more weeks of winter every time because he wants to go back to sleep and then later in the special he says he doesn't really mind because he doesn't mind the extra sleep it's unclear whether the levels of his corruption are unclear maybe he realized in the beginning that he shouldn't have and we get this newsreel footage that is kind of similar to santa claus is coming to town Really hyping up this groundhog who is kind of a fucking loser. I don't know. I really don't like part of me, Pete. He's probably the worst part of the special. We also, in the beginning of the special, get Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire as a song, which is a Christmas song. As we're talking about Groundhog Day, I remember... God, I'm not sure this story is even worth telling, but I remember in fourth grade, it was maybe, like, January, and I'm in Catholic, I was in Catholic school, so... You know, sometimes we were would learn subjects and not really. You know, we'd. I remember making arts and crafts, which seems kind of dumb for a fourth grader to do, and it was celebrating. The theme was winter, and it had to have been like late January, potentially early February. And our teacher, this old lady, was getting very angry because there were some. <laughs> we were supposed to, you know, craft all this Christmas or uh, winter stuff, and the big problem was a lot of people were crafting Christmas stuff. So you could have snowmen. No reindeer, no elf. Uh, pretty fucking stupid. Uh, and I think I kind of thought back to that as I'm watching this. Is it a Christmas special? Is it not? I don't know. Maybe that wasn't the greatest story. We do see Jack Frost. He's established as invisible. The people can't see him. He flies around. And uh, it's kind of lonely. He's a he's kind of a prankster. He likes to engage with people. And he can't really do that because he's... He's kind of a ghost, but at the same, like that's kind of actually sad because he's got the greatest outfit of maybe anybody in the Rankin Bass cinematic universe. He is wearing a sequined, uh, full body. I mean, so he's either wearing tights and a skirted leotard, or he's wearing a skirted unitard. 
Uh, it's skin tight. There's it's there's it's very sparkly. Uh, he looks he looks kind of like David Bowie's even more gender fluid child, and uh, he looks extremely homosexual. He he's unquestioned it. I was sitting there and I'm looking at his outfit and I'm looking at the beauty of I'm somebody who's who who watches these specials and and looks for the craftsmanship of of the stop motion animation. I'm thinking like, gee, this guy's wearing a fantastic outfit. He looks very, very, very gay. And I don't know. This one just wasn't one of my favorites as a child. I'm kind of sitting there like I always kind of knew I was a twink. I don't really know why. My ideal kind of, even as a transgender woman, my kind of, my primary aesthetic is kind of the Jack Frost aesthetic. Like, I love those, I love the sparkles. I, I tend to favor clothes that show off my uh, athletic physique. That's just, just a long way of saying, like, Jack Frost. I, I would actually probably marry Jack Frost. I could. <laughs> we get hit with uh, a lot of alliteration in this special. Uh, the main action takes place in this place called January Junction. And we come in and we find out there's a lot of poverty going on. And it's mostly because of this guy. Uh, God. We have Kubla Kraus. Boy. You know, this special is filled with alliteration. There's January Junction, the Pumpkin Peasants. We even have the Sleet Sisters. Kraus lives on Miserable Mountain, but Kubla Klaus would actually be more alliterative than Kubla Kraus. But I don't know. This is kind of a mess. Kubla Kraus is basically Ben Haramad from Little Drummer Boy. Looks identical. He has bizarrely advanced technology. He has an iron horse named Clang Stomper who can lift people up with a lever and shake their money out. And apparently he can also smell... I mean, there's so many, just so many things that are outlandishly convenient here, like the pumpkin peasants talking about having a coin, and all of a sudden Kubla Kraus comes out of the blue on his iron horse... And he also, he also has a clockwork butler named Fetch Kvetch. And uh, he's got, he has an army of sort of wind-up soldiers called Knights. And his only friend is a ventriloquist puppet, who's also iron, named Donnie. And it's established, it's established multiple times throughout this special that Kubla Kraus has to rely on his machine empire. I'm talking about, like, Power Ranger Zeo for... <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to even understand that reference, but Kubla Kraus has all of the wealth. He has all the money. He's essentially conquered the area, and he doesn't have any humans. He can't employ any humans. He can't—nobody that nobody will work for him because of how greedy he is, so he has to live by himself, and the ventriloquist puppet is there to keep him company. He's insanely lonely up on Miserable Mountain in his big fortress, and yet it's kind of unclear—like, elite, like— a dictator cannot exert his force with with just a couple of of like, okay he's got an army of mechanical knights and his his iron horse does appear to like i mean he he does have weapons i guess are they weapons that you can conquer a nation with i i'd almost gander no i mean one knight kind of took out a lot of them later on <laughs> I'm just trying to, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but trying to establish. I don't know. I, I don't know what Kubla Kraus, it's not my place. The guy, it, it, I think a lot of us can look at a guy like Kubla Kraus, the way he talks, and like, it does feel kind of racist, and this, this uh, special does use some offensive words elsewhere. 
Now, the main action of Jack Frost centers around Kubla Kraus, or Jack Frost intervenes as Kubla Kraus is carelessly about to kill Eliza. Kubla Kraus takes his, uh, his clank stopper, his giant iron horse, goes on the ice, and guess what? The ice starts to break. Who could have, uh, who could have seen that one coming? And, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could kind of look at this. Jack Frost saves Eliza, and she falls in love with him. She's able to kind of tell it's Jack Frost, even though... And the villagers seem to, of January Junction, seem aware of Jack Frost, and they can't see him. I don't know. I, I, I guess it's not too dissimilar from, like, you're without a Santa Claus. People think of Santa as maybe potentially real or not. They want... he He's kind of like... It's like Schrodinger's Klaus. He's he's a real figure, and he's also simultaneously like a person of, of, of folklore and stuff. I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of the read that I was getting on. You know, is Jack Frost real? And and if, if you're not convinced he's real, I mean, this special is content to give you a fuck ton of exposition on winter, including one guy, one guy named Snip, voiced by Don Messick, who voices all sorts of people, uh, Jangle, either Jingle or Jangle in You're Without a Santa Claus, and he's practically in every other one, um, I mean, a lot of, this special reuses a lot of the voice actors, we don't have, like, a big name, like a Mickey Rooney, but Paul Freese is in basically every single Rankin-Bass special, uh, he's here as Father Winter and as Kubla Kraus, uh, <laughs> I almost kind of wish that the guy who did Ben Haramid from The Little Drummer Boy, I wish it was kind of just the same character. Because then we could loop in uh, Little Drummer Boy into the continuity that we have between Rudolph, Frosty, and Jack Frost, culminating in the Avengers-style team-up of Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Little Drummer Boy could have showed up for that too if we had been able to connect that to this one. But I guess that was I guess they had to have multiple Groundhog Day scenes, and we couldn't fit that in. Now, Jack Frost kind of comes up with a solution to the idea that Kubla Kraus has taken all their money. He develops ice coins. So, January Junction gets its own temporary currency that works. That works pretty well, actually, for the uh, uh, half of the year where it's snowy. And then they kind of have to operate without currency for the other half. Uh, I have read Das Kapital. I know my marks very well. You can't have a commodity that dis that you can't have a seasonal commodity that disappears. You can't you can't have a currency that goes away. A dollar does not have any value, or maybe briefly it has more extreme value and then less. I I'm not even sure I would go that far. A dollar can't have value if one day you could just wake up and your dollar is gone. At least in terms of of it existing as physical, like tangible currency, not an NFT, and not like something in a bank either. Now, I am kind of describing venture capital in a lot of ways, but uh, you have to wonder. Like, Elon Musk is not really worth... Like, they say he's the world's richest man, but most of his wealth is really theoretical wealth. He wouldn't be able to go to a bank and withdraw a hundred and... Anyway, I don't need... This is not about economics, but... The special doesn't really seem to know economics either. We have ice coins. You can't have a temporary currency, people. That's not how the world works. Nor should it. It's kind of funny that we have the voice of Scuttle in this because <laughs> this special is kind of like The Little Mermaid. Jack Frost wants to be a real boy. So I guess it's more like Pinocchio, but I don't know. It's kind of, I mean, there's almost when, when Kubla Kraus abducts Eliza and brings her back to his castle, there's almost like there's a little bit of Beauty and the Beast thrown in. 
And uh, I guess Pinocchio would have been the only, if we're talking Disney movies, was the only one that would have been made by this point. Pinocchio's Christmas kind of riffs off that. It kind of does riff off the audience's awareness of the Disney special, even though like those were all in the public domain, obviously. The stories are based off you know, old, uh, many on Hans Christian Andersen and that kind of stuff. Very old. And I guess, I guess underpinning Jack Frost as wanting to be human so that he can be among the people, maybe that's kind of what gives this, uh, special its, its emotional weight. You kind of do feel a bit. Jack Frost is a very relatable character. If, if I had my one complaint about Santa Claus is coming to town that we did, uh, last episode on this podcast, aka also, uh, recorded yesterday, it was that that we didn't really get to the heart of Klaus as a character of of we didn't get we didn't get the man who is Kris Kringle. We mostly got a telling of uh, various bits of of Santa Claus lore, like where ho ho ho, or why he has a beard, or why you can't pout because that Santa's kind of a dick. We don't really have those issues with this. We get to we get a bit more intimacy with Jack Frost, and actually. The real funny thing about that is that this special does, in a lot of ways, want to turn the turn its gaze to pretty much everything but that. So Shadow Jack learns that Eliza's in love with him, and uh, he really wants his chance at love. Don't we all? And uh, he goes up to see Father Winter, and he wants to be human if he can be with her. And Father Winter says... I mean, he gives him a list of, of things that he has to do all in the span of a few weeks. And, I mean, what millennial would be able to do any of this stuff? He has to earn a house, a horse, a bag of gold, and a wife. All in six weeks. Millennial can really do uh, maybe maybe the last one if you've got a good U-Haul going. I, I If somebody said to me, you have to... Be married by spring, I would get that fucker done. It wouldn't be pretty. Uh, if you said I have to have a house by spring, I would uh, not be able to get that done. Bag of gold, nope. And there is kind of the iron horse loophole, because Jack at the end is able to claim the iron horse as his own. So, I mean, if you count plushies, I do have some horses already. So, there we go. I mean, I, I could maybe do half of these. Jack Frost certainly can't. We are certainly getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, though, with. with just the explanation of the plot, because, you know, we, we get to meet some of the characters in January Junction, we get to meet Eliza, it's it's all fun, but then we have to go up to, I'm just gonna call it the Winter Palace, uh, place where winter is made, if, if you, I don't know why this special needed to go through, like, Apparently, we have we have a lot of uh, the the special uses the term snow gypsies. That's the first and last time I'll say that in the special. I think that's an offensive term. There's a lot of them that that help distribute the snow that's made all by. We're supposed to believe that all the snow, every single. I mean, we hear all the time that no two snowflakes look alike. This special would posit that all of the billions and maybe even let's just say trillions of snowflakes out in the world were all made by this one old guy named Snip, who who is so busy that he has time later on to transform to a human to help Jack establish his tailor business down in January Junction when he does get turned into a human. I mean, it's unclear. Like, he, he obviously doesn't really want to be there, and yet, like, down at the tailor shop, he's trying to help out his bud, but wh what's Snow going to do? How does one guy make trillions and trillions uh, of, of snow a year 
And yet Jack's got like six weeks to do the unthinkable for any millennial and get a house and a bag of gold and a wife and a horse all within a few months. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. Pardon me, Pete, takes us to the kingdom of the winter cloud for a lot of truly worthless exposition. It is filler in every sense of the word. No character other than Father Winter and Snip up there are relevant at all, but we have to meet the Sleet Sisters, we have to meet Holly, we have to meet the rest of the snow. Uh, I don't really want to use that word again. We even need a hail fellow to handle, I guess, the summer snow. I don't know, it's so fucking stupid. They want to. They want us to believe that each each snowflake is deliberately thrown out into the world by one person, by an individual snow person. Not using the word. And Snip is is th- there's thousands of those guys, and yet Snip is just one making it snow. Why why do we need this? I I don't really know. I I really I guess they're padding out the runtime. That's why we have another Groundhog song 40 minutes in. Huge mess. And, I mean, there is something lost with just throwing out a bunch of uh, alliterative or or stupid names of characters who do things that didn't need to be explained. I, I don't think anybody watching Jack Frost would sit there and say to themselves, well, gee, you know, this was a great special, but we didn't learn why all snowflakes don't look alike. I mean... We don't know why does snow fall in a specific spot. It's because the snow people are just throwing the, each individual snowflake off the cloud, the winter, the great winter cloud, and throwing them down, and it's all deliberate. I mean, how does that explain... I, I was about to say, how does that explain, like, tragedy and blizzards that kill people? Exactly. I mean, if you don't explain that, then you're not thinking about the question. But if you try to explain, you kind of waffle, and it's kind of like this thing that you're scratching your head and being like, eh, I don't know about that. That's when you, you pick at it, and you wonder, like, gee, this is very, very stupid. And you wouldn't have had to do that if this special didn't open up its can of worms and all the filler. One kind of benefit, so Father Winter... I, He's kind of like a cross between King Triton and Ursula. And Little Mermaid came out after this, but he, he's interesting. He's not an unre... He gives Jack an impossible task, one that no millennial could ever do, and yet, like, he is kind of rooting for Jack, and what's really funny... the longer, Whenever Jack kind of opens his mouth, and Robert Morris is kind of an interesting uh, casting choice for Jack, he sounds extremely gay. And Jack sounds extremely gay, too. And he's, like, begging for a chance. It's hard. Jack is established as one of a kind. He's kind of distributing a lot of the winter. It's hard to... It's hard to see how, like, you couldn't just get somebody else, but... He's, like, an iconic figure in their lore, and yet he's also maybe disposable. Father Winter's willing to let him become human. I don't know. I mean... It doesn't make a ton of sense, and yet this is the kind of sort of meaty drama. I'm coming off. I saw Hades Town, and I've, I've been thinking a lot about how Hades. It, Hades allowed uh, Orpheus and Eurydice to kind of do the same thing. He he gave them an impossible task, not impossible. He gave them a very very difficult task, and in doing so, kind of advocates himself of 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 being the person who who sets them or causes them to fail because he did kind of give them a chance to succeed. This is kind of what Father Winter is doing with Jack. He's allowing him the chance, the chance to go and be human. 
It's not going to be easy, but it is theoretically doable, and Jack is able to... If he goes there, doesn't fall in love and fails, which, spoiler alert, he does fail, then at least he comes back and he, he's filled with the awareness that, yeah, he did try. So, I don't know. That's maybe a little bit too intense of a reading, but it does kind of set up Father Winter as a reasonable character. If, if you watch Little Mermaid, Ursula fulfills the contract. It's unreasonable, but Ariel does understand the terms. <laughs> I don't want to carry water. I, I think it maybe it speaks to sort of the interesting morality of this that, I mean, one interesting thing about Father Winter is he does help Jack Frost when Kubla Krause falls out of his uh, his his mountain castle and he blows him away. So he is he is a good guy in some senses, and you could look at his. I don't know. I mean, he does take a lot of his responsibility from nature. He doesn't get to just extend winter arbitrarily. So maybe he's answering to a higher power. Hey, maybe the guy is doing the best that he can. I don't know. I I, I hate to. I hate to carry water for people in power, and yet at the same time, I don't know. I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, like, he's he is unreasonable, and yet by ranking bass standards, like, Rudolph's Shiny New Year comes to mind. Like, Father Time is a fucking dick. Is is Father Winter in that level? I would have to say no. I think he, he, he tried, and actually Jack did kind of come close, but Jack had to do a noble thing and, and give up his humanity to uh, try and uh, bury the mountain with snow. Oh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. It's very interesting, though. This is Father Winter is an interesting character. This is kind of like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about the dynamics between everybody, especially between Snip and Jack and then Jack and Father Winter. And I'm thinking, like, these are these are reasonably developed characters. I, I was enjoying it. I, I thought that this was uh, maybe... As dumb as some of the other elements of this special are, you know, there's some complex character relationships. That's all I'm saying. If you have a master's degree in English lit, if you think about this stuff too much, uh, there is something here to think about. It's quite nice. I think maybe that's why I like Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. It's a train wreck. It's a, a complete whiff at high fantasy. And yet, I gotta say, hey, it's fun to see them try. Father Winter also does have an interesting point where he says to Jack, you know, you, because he's, Jack's kind of like saying like, hey, everybody loves me. And Father Winter hits him with an absolute juggernaut and says, no one really wants to know Jack Frost. They know his name, but they don't really want to know him as a person. And Jack's confusing. He thinks that the cra that people will embrace him. And actually, in his defense, January Junction does basically embrace him as one of their own. So he was kind of right. And yet Father Winter, kind of saying like, hey man, you're legend. Nobody really wants you to peel back behind the curtain. That's kind of what the special does with Jack Frost, peels behind the curtain. We we have to learn that snowflakes are made individually. So there's a bit of meta, meta commentary that's lost, but uh, we won't lose it. Uh, you know, I'm defending Father Winter a lot. I gotta say, the heteronormativity of his quest, and this special was ramming heteronormativity down. In one of Eliza's only scenes, she's talking to some other women where she's without Jack Frost, and they're basically saying, like, oh, you'll meet a nice man. Nobody ever talks like that to me. I want to meet a nice man. I actually would be fine with heteronormativity, but... 
Father Winter is not giving me those kinds of mandates. So Jack's lonely. He's going down. He gets a present. He he goes he goes to snip and is basically already, he's already saying his goodbyes. And I mean you've got to think that this whole this whole uh, development of of going down there unfolded in like matter of minutes. And there hasn't there hasn't even been that much time down on Earth. And he's already saying like goodbye, Snip. I'll always remember you. And then Snip comes down to help him with his tailoring because he doesn't understand. He's he's not really uh, equipped to work on his own yet. But he goes down. He meets Eliza's family, and he he doesn't. She's still around on the ice. And Jack comes down there. He's having trouble walking. And right away, she kind of friend zones Jack Snip as he introduces himself. He's not a golden knight, but she does. He does get invited back home to dinner, maybe out of pity. And uh, that's when he learns that these people are poor. They don't have a lot of money for food. Because he's thinking to himself, like, oh, I'll just, like, I'll go build a house if there's no... They say to him, because he says he needs a house, and they're like, well, January Junction, we do need a tailor, but we don't have any empty houses. Like, imagine that. You could just go to a town, and they're going to basically apologize to you because, hey, sorry, we're out of spare houses. Gee, I mean, what's the real estate market there? I mean, were they hit during the uh, subprime mortgage lending crisis in the... Uh, I had to pause right there as I was thinking of how to describe, like, 2008. The early 2000s. God, that makes me feel fucking old. And Eliza's family, they... <laughs> they view their Christmas... This is... I mean, there's a song in this special where the villagers are all happy. They're giving each other... They have a tradition. They don't have any money or anything, but they participate in Christmas by giving each other empty boxes, and they pretend like there's something in that. Talk about depressing. But Eliza, I mean, Eliza comes from a loving family. She's actually probably one of the more interesting uh, romantic interests in the any of these specials. Uh, and yet, her, her job is mostly just to get captured. And, I mean, she... One thing I actually forgot when I was watching the special, so we know Snip comes down. I didn't realize that Holly, the uh, another one of the snow people, also comes down because she basically gets no line. Yep, Snip Snip basically could have been sent down solo just to be Jack's companion. They don't really do a heck of a lot. Uh, they establish employment as a tailor, and Jack is, is not really making inroads with Eliza, who starts to get pursued by a uh, pretty, pretty interesting knight named... Sir Ravenel Wright Fellow. Sir Ravenel Wright Fellow. A knight in golden armor, which was foreshadowed when Jack first arrived. You're not a knight in You're not my knight in golden armor. Usually be shining armor. But, so unfortunately, Eliza gets kidnapped by uh, Kubla Kraus, who really creepily lures her. He's hiding behind a bunch of shit, and he's using his puppet. He's a creepy guy. He can't apparently send his knights in... <laughs> I don't know. I'm sitting here, like, thinking to myself, how has nobody overthrown this guy? He's pathetic. Uh, he does manage to kidnap Eliza. But then there's a rescue operation, which is actually one of the more interesting sequences in the Rankin-Bass lore. They go to rescue. They they kind of split up. Uh, Ravenel, right fellow, uses his horse to hold the rope as he scales. Uh, he, he in his in his armor, manages to climb upwards on a rope, scales a mountain, and Jack can't even figure out how to basically get a little bit uh, up the hill. And he's got his, uh, he's got Holly and Snip there to help him. And they can't do anything. And they actually get captured. The knight, the Knights, I mean, the Knights can follow orders. They can hear people. And they were able to capture Jack. And yet, 
they basically get tricked into falling down a hill a little bit later. Uh, it's kind of a mess, but I really liked watching Right Fellow battle. Uh, th these ranking bass battles were never very long, but this was very engaging. Ravenel is actually kind of an interesting character. You, as an audience member, would probably not like him because he's set up kind of in opposition to Jack. Not just kind of, he's totally set up in opposition to Jack. And yet... This is a tragedy. Jack is not going to end up with Eliza. She needs to be happy with somebody. She has... This is in 1970s traditional value. No woman... She Her happiness is contingent. Let's not... It would be the real tragedy if the woman didn't have some sort of man to take care of her. We would... <laughs> it wouldn't be a ranking bass special if we didn't uphold the patriarchy. But! I mean... Ravenel kind of looks like a Ken doll, especially in the wedding scene at the end. Uh, he, he, but I don't know. I mean, if I ended up with him, he took on all the Knights by himself, basically. He knew Jack was not going to be able to help. So I don't know. I mean, I think I kind of like the guy. And he's introduced in kind of a weird fashion because halfway through the special, they start to kind of think about, Gee, let's do Christmas. Let's have our really depressing scene where the whole village is coming together to give each other nothing. We haven't... The proletariat has not removed their chains and attacked Kubla Kraus, who does kind of walk among them with his puppet. Nobody does anything. You know, he's off foot. He's hiding. He's trying to win win Eliza and capture her and bring her back to Miserable Mountain. Who names their own mountain Miserable Mountain? I don't know. I, I do... You know... This isn't in my notes, but as I look at, like, the tailor... I am kind of reminded, it is, uh, yeah, he got help from Snip, but it is kind of admirable that, that Jack just kind of gets, po if I had powers, I would not want to be, as a transgender person, I don't really want to be a real, a real girl. I like being my impossible burger version. <laughs> so the idea that, the idea that Jack, I don't know why this is, I don't know why this is comparable in any way, shape, or form, but I, the idea that he went to live in January Junction to be a tailor just so that he could have a, reason like a white picket fence style life with a girl and, and get a bag of gold and a horse I, I don't know maybe I relate it it looks like kind of a nice life I wouldn't mind being somebody's new year's bread I don't I sound depressed as I talk about this <laughs> thankfully you know I went out last night I have four whiskey sodas I my friend had uh six uh beers and I I stopped I cut myself off I'm like I have to record tomorrow I have to be I have to be fully aware for podcasting <laughs> rank <laughs> ranking bass only deserves the best I do sound kind of depressed though <laughs> so it's at this point that uh Jack Snip and Holly get captured and Kubla Kraus is really upset. He's an insult. Uh, he wants to level January Junction. He's going to send a thousand Kanites, and he's going to level them. He's going to level the whole city. And it's at that point that Jack says, "Gee, I got to give up my attempted humanity. I got to try and do something." And he actually—I mean, I got to say—he comes up with a pretty good plan. He reverts back to his Jack Frost form, and then for six weeks he lays siege to Miserable Mountain, trying to bury it in snow, which is—I uh, got to say—it's pretty cool. And as a strategy, it probably would have worked if it hadn't been for nature, you know, needing to take its course, which Father Winter acknowledges. But Jack's able to trick. We got Groundhog Day back again. Groundhog Day is so critical, but he's able to buy a little bit more time. And with that remaining hour, he returns to his human form. And he goes and he tricks. He uses 
uh, Kubla Krause's, while he's sleeping right next to him, he uses Kubla Krause's ventriloquist dummy and tricks the Knights, all thousand of them, into walking off the, the mountain to their death. And Jack, it's at that point Jack gets his uh, his horse. He takes over Kubla Krause's uh, Kubla Krause's iron horse. I guess that counts. It's like a loophole. I mean, why couldn't he have had an iron wife too? Doesn't make a ton of sense. Why is the horse allowed to be iron, but the wife is not? He gets his house. He takes the castle. I guess he's got the deed. He's got gold. He's got everything, but he doesn't have the girl. And she's got a very quick engagement. She's a little sad that that Jack Snip, her friend. She even acknowledges she's only known him for a bit, but she wants him there. And uh, Jack Snip, she's a little upset, but they're going to have the wedding. Jack gets there. Jack Snip, he sees Liza's father, asks for a hand in marriage, and he's like, well, my, I'm going to have a night for a son-in-law. He's really happy. And he basically says, you know, the only person she's ever loved is Jack Frost. And Eliza, Eliza kind of gets the similarity, but she, she understands there's something about Jack Snip that reminds her of Jack Frost, but she never really pieces two and two together. And uh, it's unfortunately, Jack doesn't really have a time to explain himself because the time's up. You know, Father Winter is able to, he puts his thumb on the scale when he sends uh, Snip down there to help with the tailor. He certainly puts his thumb on the scale when he blows Kubla Krause away. Not going to give him extra time. Not going to do what King Triton did at the end of The Little Mermaid. Nope. Jack, uh, Jack has to go back to being a spirit. And he blows her an icy kiss under her wedding bouquet, which she's able to understand came from Jack Frost. And it's a somber, it's a somber, and it's a very abrupt ending. And yet, I gotta say, it's also kind of sweet. It's kind of sweet because I, I, I'm i not of the belief that Jack couldn't have made a life in January Junction. It would have been weird with Snip as his tailor. Maybe he was just there to get him started. But you feel for the guy. And they, they point out that winter wouldn't be the same without Jack Frost. You realize that Jack Frost cannot abandon his post. Apparently, there's thousands of the uh, snow people of, of the offensive name. Uh, one of them, I guess, can't step in. It's not really established why. And it's also not really established why Jack needs the love of a woman to, to be human. Why can't he have a man or somebody else? Why does he get to have an iron horse and not a real horse? But this other loophole is apparently very uh, problematic. I really don't know. I was about to say, I wish I knew the answer. There's something sweet about this kind of just ending, ending, not quite in tragedy, but it doesn't have an upbeat ending. And that's okay. Life doesn't have an upbeat ending sometimes. And maybe those aren't the stories that we want to tell, but this isn't, to, to draw another loophole here, this isn't really a Christmas special. This is a Groundhog Day special. Groundhog Day is not that fun of a time. It's February. It's still pretty cold. You don't get presents on Groundhog Day. What do you get? Tragedy. Jack Frost cannot live among us because then how would we have winter? Global warming would, would be way worse if it, Jack Frost hadn't turned back into a spirit. If he hadn't donned his sparkly outfit again. He wasn't meant to be with that woman. I Maybe. May, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I kind of just thought of that, but it's true. Maybe the special's good because Jack Frost was too gay to end up with Eliza. Raven old right fellow? I mean, he he kind of gives off twink energy too, but the dude took on all those knights by himself. He didn't have dis he didn't have trickery or anything. He just ran right in. So 
I don't know. I, I barely talked about the songs in this uh, episode. The songs are pretty irrelevant. They're not very good. Uh, I say Jack Frost is one of the better Rankin Bass specials. I think if you're a fan of the genre, this special has a lot for you to enjoy. But on top of that, it has kind of the most cohesive narrative. It does take a couple bizarre sides, including we didn't need all the exposition on Winter, and we certainly didn't need multiple expositions for uh, Pete, who sucks. He's a terrible character. <laughs> I hate Pete the Groundhog. But beyond that, I mean, this is a this is a it's fairly cohesive story, which is kind of a high bar, not a very high bar to pass for Rankin Bass, but I mean, we've been through weirder. I I didn't feel lost in the uh, narrative here. I don't know. It's a good story. Is this something that is a must-watch every year, like You Were That a Santa Claus? No, certainly not. But there is a lot of value in this special, and if you do like Rankin Bass, if you like the stop-motion animation style, this is one of, of their finest works. I think we have to accept... You know, I, I, as we get closer to the end of the rank... You know, we've covered... We've done a bunch of these so far, and there's a couple left to do, so whether it's this year or next year, it's not like we're totally closing the book. But as we look, we have covered kind of most of the top-tier Rankin Bass ones, all of the specials at least. And looking at you, Rudolph and Frosty, Christmas in July. You know, if there's one lesson we've learned from Little Drummer Boy, it's that the shorter format tends to work better. This is... uh, this long format doesn't really do anybody any favors. Uh, 50 minutes is too long for the Jack Frost story. There's too much filler. Uh, Rudolph and Frosty with 90 minutes. I, 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 uh, it's double this one, basically. What a mess. <laughs> but Rankin Bass specials, I mean, part of the beauty and maybe why they endear Rudolph and You're Without a Santa Claus are probably the only two that don't just get, eh, Santa Claus is coming down also kind of. They don't get bogged down with too many excessive subplots that are incoherent, but I don't know. Some of the incoherent, some of the messiness, some of these weird characters. I mean, would this special be as good without Snip? Probably not. Uh, Kubla Kraus is a weird villain. He is also kind of an interesting villain. And he gives a special something of a villain in a much like more definitive way than practically any of the others. Like... That was our chief complaint with Santa Claus is coming to town. The villains both kind of peter out. We've got the Winter Warlock who turned had a face turn. And then, uh, God, Burgermeister Meister Burger, voiced by Snip, uh, he died out. His family, uh, he, he lived to die another day. And he did die another day. And we didn't really get to see it. So Jack Frost, uh, I don't know, we got some closure. This is, uh, it's decent. I enjoyed this one. That may not necessarily come across in the way that I talk about it, but uh, I don't know. I think I'm at a stage in my life where tragedies don't necessarily make me sad because I acknowledge that the impermanence of life and... I've had so many of those, I guess, that if I were to look back on this, particularly this past year or past couple of years with relationships... Uh, you can't judge a life or a life experiences based on the ending. It's, it is it is kind of about the journey. And within Jack Frost, we do get to see him grow through his journey. He tasted humanity. He came close. He probably could have squeaked out 
a win if he hadn't decided to lay siege to Kubla Krause's uh, uh, miserable mountain for six weeks. He could have come close, and he he recognized that the world doesn't necessarily need to know Jack Frost, that he can go back to his destiny and and maybe it's sad. I don't want to say that he like learned some big lesson. This this special is such an abrupt ending that that would be really uh, silly of me to try and make that claim. But for viewers watching, Eliza's going to have a happy life, and Jack's going to have a happy life. It didn't work out. Does that mean that it was a failure, their relationship? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really much of a relationship, so actually it was a failure. But they ended up in a good spot, you know? It takes two to tango. I've had people that I care about uh, who showed me a lot of signals that they cared the same way, and... uh. You know, along the way, something happens, and the spark kind of goes away, and you're sad because you miss it, and you kind of wish it could be rekindled. And that could be really sad to think about. And maybe you're sad as you listen to me talk, like, somberly, but I smile when I think about a lot of that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, in, in, in you could look, you could do the Doctor Strange thing where you look in, in life and, and think about all the timelines that it would have worked out. And you could do that. You could spend your entire life plotting... Those scenarios, I mean, you really, you could spend years plotting, uh, uh, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths. We're blending our superhero references now. We've done Marvel and DC. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, things happen. They don't always work out. But uh, I hate saying, like, it's not the end game. It's the journey or it's the friends we've made along the way. I don't know how true that is. But if you got to have some fun along the way, yeah, that is kind of the takeaway. You know, life life doesn't always end up the way you want it, but I don't know. You just got to find the joy along the way. Boy, this had a really somber ending for Jack Frost. Maybe that's why I like it. I don't know. It wasn't afraid to be a sad special, Groundhog Day aside, which was sad that they chose to even put that in there. But, alas, uh, this will not be the final Rankin Bass we do. Uh, we'll do... I want to say at least one or two more. It's now the 7th of December. Yeah, we've got room for one or two more. And maybe in the interim, I may hype myself up to do Rudolph and Frosty, but God, that's a fucking pain. You sit there, you have to... Uh, I have done such a good job like saying, like, maybe we'll do it. Who, who, who hearing me complain about having to do that on multiple separate occasions in this special actually wants to see me do it? I don't know. Anyway, we will... On that note, we will end. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Sorry for the asides. <laughs> at least I kept them at the end if you're still listening. <laughs> we we will see you next time.